Hey there, it's Len of Push Black, producer of our Black History Year and Two Minute Black History series. I'm excited to introduce Push Black's first narrative podcast, a thrilling true crime series called The Stolen Girls of Americas. It's 1963, and on a seemingly ordinary summer day in Americas, Georgia, 15 black girls eagerly joined a protest only to mysteriously vanish into thin air. For 45 days, they went missing without a trace, leaving a terrified community asking, what happened to our girls? That is the real story behind Push Black's first dramatic series, The Stolen Girls of Americas. Now sit back and enjoy the very first episode of The Stolen Girls of Americas. And if you want to hear more, look for and subscribe to The Stolen Girls of Americas on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. This podcast is based on a true story. This way! Hurry up, y'all! We can't get caught. We're moving as, as fast as we can. Well, it ain't fast enough. Lorena, we don't know where we're going or what's waiting for us in these woods. Then I guess we're going to have to find out. Pick up your feet, Verna. Lorena, I'm trying. Lorena, it's a path. See, Shirley, I told you this trail leads to a town or, or something. Let's go. Come on. Verna, I said hurry up. Wait, don't leave me. I just got to catch my breath. <sighs> Nobody's leaving nobody, Verna. I got to, y'all. I'm going to get you all. Lorena, we have to go back. Pops is closing in. He's aiming at us. If we was any taller, them bullets would have hit our heads and not them tree trunks. This is our chance. We have to take it. Look, Lorena, you know I want to be home as bad as you. But Shirley might be right with this one. We're in this together, right? Yes. And I know we can do this. We can make it. But... I'm all out of warning shot. Hope I find you before my bullet does. Carol, what should we do? I, I, I don't know. Ladies. Ah! Oh, no. The Stolen Girls of Americas. Episode 1 An Abduction in Americas. It's 1963, the summertime. An unusually hot sun beats down on Americas, Georgia. Shaded beneath hulking oak trees, antebellum homes line quaint streets in the rural town, no more than 10 square miles. Children ride bikes and play tag abandoning school textbooks for three months of freedom. Small business owners in white button-downs, the pits stained yellow with sweat, attend to business as usual. And in the sweltering heat of that summer, many escape into the cool confines of the Martin Theater. 
where those conservative houses and where the Martin Theater's entrance end, segregation begins. Because the opposite side of town is home to America's majority Black population. The well of generosity runs dry in this side of town. Humble abodes sit shoulder to shoulder on cracked land, cramped further by the large families within. Children lucky enough to attend school and not farm the land carry tattered textbooks, hand-me-downs from white school districts. Like America itself, a distinct line splits Americas in two, where whites flourish in their privilege and blacks fight for their right to exist. This is where the story of the young girls is born. Shirley Green had always loved celebrating her birthday. She loved the bouquets of balloons coloring her living room, enjoyed the riotous chorus singing Happy Birthday off-key, and she especially loved the warm glow of candles waiting to be blown out with a single wish. Every year she'd wish the same, for good health, success, and happiness. Then after, her taste buds would dance when the two-tiered vanilla cake her mother, Bernice, made faithfully melted on her tongue. But Shirley was turning 15, and the joy that once accompanied birthday celebrations had vanished. Her mother didn't notice. Two days before Shirley's 15th year would begin, Bernice opened her daughter's bedroom door without knock or warning. Identical dresses dangled from each of her hands, one a pearl white and the other baby blue. Frills and lace bordered the hems, and the short sleeves puffed, forming an O-like shape around the shoulders. Shirley sprung up in bed from where she lay flat on her stomach. She shoved a pen and paper underneath the pillow, her mother's typical watchful eye too preoccupied with the dresses to notice the stealthy motion. Mama, you can't just barge in my room. Come here. Let me see which one I like more. I won't have you looking a mess on your birthday. I don't want to wear a dress, Mama. What? You want to wear those jeans you like so much? No, ma'am. Not in my party. Now hold this white one up to your chest. Ah, yes. White will do. Makes you look like an angel. Shirley faced her reflection in the floor-length mirror. But she didn't look at herself. Didn't bother taking a glimpse at the angel Bernice claimed to see. Instead, she witnessed the bloom of her mirror mother's toothy grin and the admiration that colored her expression. Claustrophobia caught her throat. She found it hard to breathe without taking deep inhales. You like it, huh? Oh, and I picked out this matching bow. Let me put it in your hair. Bernice ran her fingers through Shirley's hair, pulling it into a ponytail. Her bangs formed ringlets against her temples, and the white bow stood tall and wide on her crown. It's perfect. Mama, can we finish this later? I have a headache. Fine, fine. Put it on a hanger and don't let it wrinkle. I just had it steamed this morning. Yes, ma'am. Shirley obediently hung the dress when she noticed her prized penny loafers. The black texture glistened in the dimly lit room, looking as new as the day she bought them with her meager allowance. She slid her feet carefully into the shoes, then plodded back to her bed. 
With a quick glance at the door, Shirley pulled the concealed pen and paper from its hiding place and continued writing. The heading on the paper read, Dear Principal Jones. That letter she had written months ago, when she was still 14, now sits on the kitchen table, hidden this time beneath Shirley's book bag. Shirley is perched in a wooden chair next to a gaslit stove. A hot comb sits on the wired eye, blackened by years of use. It heats the hot comb next to a pot of greens and hammocks. With knees pulled to her chest, Shirley uses a torn rag to polish her penny loafers. Shirley Green, those shoes will still be there for you to shine when I'm done. Now sit still while I pull this through your hair. Can't wait, Mama. I'm meeting up with the girls, and I ain't going outside with dusty loafers. Not going. We don't say ain't. Not going. Yes, ma'am. Bernice stops styling her daughter's hair and picks up a piece of neatly folded paper from the kitchen table. And what is this? It's a letter to the principal. To the principal? About what? Dear Principal Jones, I'm writing this letter to share my grievances about the school dress code. It's unfair that you demand the girls follow a dress code that boys don't have to follow. I demand that... Oh, no, ma'am. Now, why you want to stir up trouble in school? Mama, it ain't... It isn't fair. They let the boys wear what they want, but soon as one of us... School is not a fashion show. Your primary concern, your only concern, is your education. But if I don't say something, who will? Somebody else. Because you'll be too busy studying. Spellman only takes the best, and you, you're going to be one of the best. That's how you change things. You get your degree and make something of yourself. Understand? Yes, ma'am. <clears throat> what exactly are you girls getting into today? Um, nothing much. Gonna walk the creek. Make sure you stay away from downtown. I heard something from the Barnums about a protest. I know. I'm serious, Shirley. Promise me you'll stay far away. Uh... How far is far away? Shirley Green, don't get smart with me. Now let me run this hot comb through before you leave. Shirley snatches the hot comb from the stovetop. Smoke rises from its golden teeth, then disappears into Shirley's hair. Any texture is ironed out. Voila, all done. What about your ribbon? I'm late as it is. Then you can wait one more minute. Found it. A white ribbon to match your white blouse. There. Perfect. Dressed in a white button-up, brown shorts, and her buffed and polished penny loafers, Shirley crosses the threshold from her cramped home to the world outside. Frozen on her front porch, she sharply inhales, gulping air as if she'd broken the surface that separates water from earth. She reaches behind her head, and her fingertips brush the ribbed edges of the ribbon. A firm tug is all it takes to free it from her hair. A flick of the wrist surrenders the ribbon to the wind.
over. Stop trying to walk up the slide. You're gonna hurt yourself. <laughs> Carol Barner is a child of God. It's what she's been preaching since the age of five. Whenever the opportunity would arise, Carol would be the first to raise her hand and beg, Mama, please let me say grace. And with every blessing over a meal or prayer for strength not to strangle one of her little siblings, Carol grew closer and closer to God. Stop that yelling and play nice. Carol turns to the poster board that lays on the marbled stone of the playground. She pulls a red marker from behind her ear and continues her work. In block lettering, she carefully spells out a word. Her brows meet in the center. Her tongue peeks from her mouth's corner. Focused. Jesus, I want you to protect me. What's that? Me. <gasps> Sandra, don't scare me like that. Jim Crow must go. That's right. Jim Crow must go. Who's Jim Crow? You're too young to understand. I'll explain it to you someday. Hey, I'm not too young. You're too young, and I'm too busy. Go play with the other kids or something. I gotta focus. <laughs> but I like making signs. Fine. These ones have to be in paint because they're bigger. So don't make a mess. Grab that brush and dip it in the black paint. Write out, Jim Crow must go. Just like the other ones. Copy it word for word, only bigger. Think you can handle that? Yeah, I can do that. Jesus, be a fence all around me. Is this good? Day. I see you've been practicing your penmanship, but your J is too big. You gotta fit it all on one board. Let that dry, and we'll do the back in a minute. Get another board. Jesus, I want you to protect me as I travel along the way. If you boys keep hollering, I'ma get a switch. I can hear y'all from the church basement. Auntie Helen, you done with Bible study? Yes, I am, Sandra baby. Carol got you working, huh? We making signs for this profess today. For the protest today. How they look, mama? Nice. But why are you busying yourself making these and not watching the kids? Mama, you know it ain't right they make us Negroes go to the back of the theater to get tickets. That's why I plan to do something about it. Robert! Boy, if you don't get down before you break your damn neck! Ooh, Auntie, you said a curse word outside church. Sorry, baby. What were you saying? Just that it ain't right, and it needs to stop. And I, I, I'm going to do something about it. Don't make me come over there! <sighs> Your brother's done found my last nerve, I swear, Carol. Now run that by me again one more time, baby. It's okay, Mama. You want me to go get him? Nah, nah, it, it's time to go. Just pack up all your supplies here and put them away. I want you to keep away from protests and all that mess. You hear me? Don't get little Sandra caught up in that too. But mama, I gotta go. It's my calling from God. Remember what the six folks say? If it don't feel right, then it's not civil. And civil rights ain't black or white. It's just right. All right, Pastor Carol. <laughs> Don't be gone more than two hours, or I'm a worry. Come on, y'all! 
Need to get you boys home and in the darn bathtub. You keep your eyes on Sandra now. Watch her like she watch a TV. You hear me? Yes, Mama. Jim Crow must go. Jim Crow must go. Yes, it do. Come on, silly. Even though Lorena Barnum is tall for her age, a vest that's too big and too wide falls to her knobby knees. Lying neatly from the vest shoulder to its pockets are rows of pins touting slogans of equality, badges earned from countless protests. One America, united we shall overcome. SNCC, NAACP Freedom Fights, Equal Rights in 63. Though the vest devours Lorena's frame, she puffs her chest out with a smile that stretches her face. When she does, the vest fits perfectly. You sure love wearing my vest, don't you? Lorena gazes up into the eyes of her grandmother, Mabel. Haloed by rays of sun, Lorena nods her head eagerly. She had grown up watching Mabel organize dozens of protests in their small community. Wide-eyed in the last pew of the local church, Lorena will watch her statuesque grandmother wield her silver tongue for the good of her people. Those same wide eyes peer at her grandmother as the two shop downtown to prepare for the protest. Mrs. Barnum, God bless you. I owe you some thanks. Oh, Jeffrey, please stop all that carrying on and drive home safe. Tell your mother I asked about her. All right, now I will. Take care. What are you thanking you for? Business that ain't yours to mine. Huh. <laughs> well, I'll be, Mabel. Oh, been a month of Sunday since I seen you, Patty. You doing all right? I am blessed. You just don't know. Hey there, Lorena. I almost didn't see you there standing behind your grandma. I'm used to seeing you stomping on my rose bushes. I ain't stomp. It's just the quickest way to the corner. Words can't tell how grateful I am for you. I'd have gone homeless if you ain't raised that rent money for me. Couldn't have buried my Jimmy right. You just don't know. <laughs> I guess you do, though. <laughs> now, if you ever need anything, I mean anything, you call me, you hear? You call me first. I mean it. <sighs> of course, Patty. You know, I'm always here for you. It's so good to see you. You too. Bye, Lorraine. Is that you, Miss Ellis? Miss Ellis, hold up. Let me talk to you. I can't stand Mrs. Patty. She always got something to say. Maybe if you didn't stomp on her rose bushes, she'd hush up. I only did it once. Mm -hmm. But Grandma, I swear, everywhere we go, people itching to talk to you. You like Granny on the hillbilly. <laughs> oh, ain't nothing but a servant to the community. That's all it is. I help others, and others help me. And in times like these, we need each other more than ever. Good morning, Mrs. Barnum, and hello, Miss Lorena. I swear you're taller every time I see you. I'm pretty sure I'm the same height I was when you saw me two weeks ago. <laughs> what you need today, Mrs. Barnum? Another rack of lamb? You know what? Let me get 15 pounds of ground beef. 15 pounds? You're cooking up some for the protesters again? You know it. You and Snake been so busy this summer, y'all done filled up all the jails in town. They had to start booking protesters in the next county. 
Mm-hmm. Over in Dawson. Pretty soon, they're going to start shipping folks to Alabama. That just means more people are getting involved. Like I was telling Lorena, we got to be in this together, even if it's in a cell. Huh. You're better than me, Mrs. Mabel. The work y'all doing? Shoot. It's going to change America's for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, it just better. And if you change your mind about joining us, we meet every Wednesday at the church. Doors always open and the dinner's hot. Well, I know the meat's good. That's for sure enough show. Mm-hmm. Here you go. With the house special snick discount as usual. Least I could do. Well, as usual, the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee thanks you. And I thank you too, Frank. You help others, so Mr. Frank helps you. You got it. Look here. You see this pin on my vest with the hand balled into a fist? Uh-huh. Separately, the fingers can do a lot. You can use the thumb to hitchhike, which you better not ever do. And you can use your index finger to point. And you can show your commitment by putting a wedding band on your ring finger. But when all the fingers come together and make a fist, they can do even more. They can strike down inequality. But it's damn near impossible for them to come together when they busy poking and scratching one another. You get me? Yes, ma'am. I understand. My favorite pen is the red one with the lit torch in the middle. Makes me feel hopeful. Don't you ever lose that hope, Lorena. You're gonna need it to survive. You're gonna need it to fight. Understand? I bet if you let me wear your vest for a few more days, it'll seep in better. (laughs) Is that right? How about I lend it to you at the next protest you organize? Still leading your first one today with the other young people, right? Yes, ma'am. I'm excited. And these pins are going to remind me to be strong. Mm-hmm. It's a little big, but you look ready for war now. Ready for war in my war vest. Mrs. <laughs> uh, Mabel, Mrs. Mabel. Lorena, Lorena. As Mabel is pulled away by another local, Lorena's school friend Frida approaches. Hey, Lorena. Nice vest. Thank you. I'm wearing it to the Martin Theater Rally. You coming? Nah, not my thing. Why not? If we're going to make freedom happen, we got to rise up and fight. Ain't you trying to fight for freedom? Nah, not my thing. But have fun on that soapbox while you can. I heard the sheriff is already on his way. You mean Fred Chapel? I knew he'd come sooner than later. They've been demonstrating for two days straight. Sheriff Chapel did my daddy dirty. Once threatened him at gunpoint just because he was on the front porch after 10. I ain't going nowhere near that devil. You can't be scared, Frida. He's just going to do it again if you don't take a stand now. So what if I'm scared? Everybody not like you, Lorena. I don't want nothing to do with no protest. What's wrong with that? You can't just... I gotta go. Be safe. And don't let that devil Fred Chapel get you. He liable not to let you go. The Martin Theater stands prominent as the only movie theater in America. Flanking the red brick are columns painted pale green and yellow. The marquee's neon lights that typically light the night sky don't glow in the light of day. Folks black and white clamor there every weekend to catch the newest movie. 
Just two months ago, Shirley and her friends John and Verna saw Bye Bye Birdie. Back then, the three had purchased tickets from the back of the theater, then sat in the crowded Blacks-only section, damn near squinting to get a clear view of the screen. The white section had an abundance of empty seats. Today would be different. The skip in Shirley's step is still there when she arrives at the Friendship Baptist Church. A throng of young people gather with expressions that range from eager to distress to unyielding. Shirley finds Verna and John in the crowd, a short distance from the bridge that leads to the theater. Hey, Shirley. Glad to see you made it. Yeah, wasn't easy, but I'm here. It's your first protest, right? You sure you ain't nervous or scared? Now, John, why you always got to ruin the mood? Listen, I'm just trying to give y'all a heads up. You don't know how things could go. Once we cross that bridge, ain't no turn around. Once we in it, we in it. Then let's go. As the teens cross the bridge that separates white from black, Verna clasps Shirley's hand, then intertwines her fingers through John's. A collage of white faces contorted in disgust stare and wait on the other side as more black protesters walk the plank into white Americas. See them over there? I can feel them staring holes in my head. Don't worry about them. Focus on why we're here. Yeah, focus on that. Here's a sign. Here you go. Hey, you over there. Come get a sign. All right, here you go. As soon as you get some signs to all these empty-handed folks, let Sandra do it. They can't say no to them cheeks. Jim Crow must go. Here you go. Thank you. Jim Crow must go. There you go. Thank you. Jim Crow must go. Here you go. Thank you. There y'all are. Hey, Lorena. Hey, Carol. We getting started? Look who finally showed up. Carol, you got any signs left for the latecomers? Sure do. Here you go. Jim Crow must go. Jim Crow must go. Y'all came just in time. We got a real good crowd. Let's get in line for tickets before it gets crowded. Excuse me, Miss Johnny come lately. I'm going to be the one to leave. Amidst the sea of young people, the group scrambles to get in the ticket line. Lorena manages to push ahead of the others, though Shirley snags a spot in front of her. Ugh, quit pushing, Lorena. Ow, he stepped on my foot. I should be in front. Shirley's already up there. Just let it go, Lorena. It's your turn, Shirley. One for the matinee, please. Are you serious? Yes. One ticket for the matinee movie. I seen you all walking up here with your signs and things, so I know you can read. Negroes, even you little ones, get your tickets in the back. Now go. I'm guessing your mama dropped you on your head a time or two when you was a baby. Because for some strange reason, you think just because your skin is white that you can treat black people any old kind of way. What do you say? You heard me. 
We just want tickets to see the show, just like everybody else. Then you stay right there, little girl. Here comes a whole mess of tickets for each and every one of oh, you. No, 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 no. What's going on? Stand tall, y'all. And, and stay together. Civil rights ain't black or white. They just right. Stop. Hold it right there. Don't you move another muscle. Testing. Well, well, look at this. Somebody told me y'all was planning to cause trouble here today. Fred Chapel was named the sheriff of Sumter County on a mandate of keeping everything and everyone in their proper place, as according to the Bible, the law, and the hearsay of himself, the Honorable Sheriff Frederick Chapel. And the order might change with the tick of the clock. He did not abide by colors. In fact, he thought that the term colored bestowed a brightness onto black folk that didn't sit right in his eyes. What he saw was niggers, and he would call them what they be. Dr. Martin Luther King named the Sumter County Sheriff the meanest man in the world. Add that to the list of truths the good reverend told in his life. <laughs> he, he told me some darkies was planning to cause trouble, and I said to him, sir, you wrong. <laughs> I said, sir, sir, you wrong, because my niggas, my niggas, the ones I and my deputies been beating sense into going on two days now, my niggas ain't that stupid to go for a third strike here in America's. No, sir, I said, there ain't no Jackie Robinsons living here in America's. And guess what? I was right and I was wrong. I was right because sure as Christmas, they ain't one of them uppity snickety niggas in the bunch of yous. Just a, a pack of their wild, loud, mouth smelly, pygmy niggas trying to see over their knees. I mean, <laughs> what you think, huh? You think hell froze over and you can buy a ticket right in the front of the theater? With all due respect, Sheriff, we just want to see the picture like everybody else. And we tired of squinting our eyes to see from the balcony. My grandma says that right don't know black from white. There's just civil rights. You big mouth Mabel's granddaughter. Don't that figure. Well, darling, let me show you how right civil we can be. Boys on one side, girls on the other. Lock them up. Lock them all up. Use rope if you gotta. Move. Move! And you, little Mabel, get your nigger ass on that bus. You ain't gonna keep calling us that word. I promise you that. We're all God's children. Same as you white folk. And we just gonna be here again tomorrow and the next day. <laughs> Goddamn bus. Full of many Mabels, huh? If you children of God could read past a lollipop, you see in the Bible where it say we ain't promised no tomorrows. <laughs> Let's take them somewhere nice, boys. My mama is gonna, 
She's gonna kill me. Probably won't let me leave the house till college. I always, I always knew this could happen, but. But, but what? What are they gonna do to us? Don't, don't worry, Sandra. We're fine. Right, Lorena? What happened when your grandmama get thrown in jail? Well, well, first, she says she had to be brave. So that's what we gotta do. Then, then I think they'll book us. Take our pictures and write our names down. After that, we're free to go, and our parents will get us. But, Lorena, none of that happened. Uh, don't matter none. They know where to come get us from. They've been shipping protesters from America's here all summer long. Oh, no. I think I'm gonna throw up. Once we book and our parents know where we at, what happens next? My grandmama gonna come down here and fuss y'all out for mistreating us like this. Is that easy? Clearly it ain't. Ain't nothing Lorena said was gonna happen, happen. Shirley, try to relax. We're gonna be out of here soon. Look, y'all. Look at the clock. It ain't move. Hey, y'all think they got John, too? Hours pass as the girls languish in the Dawson County Jail. The meager light that seeped through the bars has descended into darkness. The moon illuminates the faces of 15 sleeping black girls. On your feet. What's happening? Single file line out the cell and out the door. Move it. Back up that transport now. Gate in. Crust still coating the corners of their eyes, the girls clamor into the van. Chapel's twisted smirk is the last they see before he slams the door. Grime coats every surface of the white and black van. The frail rev of the engine suggests years of neglect. Verna gags at the faint smell of sweat and whiskey. The moon that once caressed their faces now hides behind clouds, sinking the girls into a darkness that cloaks their hands from sight. Y'all all right? It's really dark. I'm really scared. Come here, Sandra. I told you, we'd be fine. We're probably going home now. Uh, y'all, ain't no train tracks between Dawson and Americas. What do you mean? I done been back and forth between both towns too many times to not know for a fact that ain't no train tracks near Americas. Oh, God, no. Hey, mister, where you taking us? We're not going home. Hey, where the hell are you taking us? Where are we going? Where are you taking us? The only response the driver offers is a swift jerk of the steering wheel sending the girls flying to one side of the van. The move quiets them. Down winding country roads, they travel for miles through black wilderness. Americus's oak trees have been replaced by an unknown destination's coniferous pines. A dim light shines through the wooded road into an open field where a graying building stands. The stone structure looks as if it had suffered years of abuse like a wounded animal, found an isolated spot to die. Light expels from a single window. The shadow of someone, or something, moves from within. 
Hey, hey, we stopped. Where are we? Shh, I can't hear him talking. Hello, ladies. While this podcast is inspired by actual events and persons, certain characters, incidents, locations, dialogue, and names have been fictionalized for the purpose of dramatization. As to any such fictionalization, any similarity to the name or to the actual character or history of any person, living or dead, or actual incident is entirely for dramatic purposes and not intended to reflect on any actual character or event. This episode features performances by Jurea Bradley, Brooke Brown, Joelle Denise, Cindy Camchoon, Richie Camchoon, Zul Monzi, Deborah Middleman, Leslie Taylor Grover, Bianca Tochi, MJ Vanderveer, Len Webb, Nate Woldu, Chris Yates. This episode is written by MJ Vanderveer and Sydney Smith and directed by Richie Camchoon. The editor is Julian Blackmore, with engineering provided by Nathan Wizard and Yanni Evans. Original music composed by Julian Blackmore. Our producers are Jill Hanairo, Darren Wallace, Len Webb, and Lily Workna. The Stolen Girls of Americus is a co-production of Accelerate Change and Push Black. If you enjoy this episode and would like to show your support, please consider making a donation at StolenGirls.com.